The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Dear brothers and sisters, if you'd be taking your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 6. The book of Acts, which comes immediately following the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you'll come to the book of Acts in that vicinity of your Bible. And once you're there, you can be turning to uh, chapter number 6. And as I was looking at my notes this morning, just to be transparent with you, Um, most of the things that were on my notes were scratched out and replaced with other things. So what I'm about ready to say is as much a surprise to you as it is to me. So, but we will go through this with the Lord's leadership and loving his word all the way along. Acts chapter six will be there in just a brief moment. If a car mechanic opens up the hood and whether it is something Minor or not minor, a common practice is to disconnect the battery terminals. This will ensure that all the other electronics of the car are kept safe. And a mechanic can go in and do a very extensive repair, can even modify engines and do all kinds of work underneath the hood. But when the mechanic is complete and he goes and sits in the driver's seat and turns the crank and nothing happens... What is a common thing to forget is to reconnect the battery terminals, those wires that go to the battery that give the engine its power to be able to turn over so that it can then fire and then run on the gasoline or diesel or whatever form of substance that this thing is running on. And the wires are a small thing. They're just wires. There's nothing really that special about those battery terminal wires that have to be connected to the power source so that it can run properly. But if they're not connected properly, or even if there is some corrosion that has built up between that wire and the battery terminal, if it's gotten old, if it's gotten stale, if it's got some corrosion built up on it, it will make that to be a weak connection. And sometimes the engine will start and run properly, other times it won't. It's vital that all of the pieces underneath that hood, both the big things within the engine block and all the other peripheral things, it's vital that they all be plugged in. It's vital that they all be working properly so that the engine can indeed run. And the book of Acts here in chapter 6, as we've been studying the early church, we're going to learn about and see how the wires were connected in to make the engine called the church run. And how there's no one part that's more important than another. And how one seemingly insignificant role doing its purpose and serving its role can make the engine run in substantial ways. When a car engine is running properly, I mean, it's kind of amazing that all these pieces of metal and wires and all these things plugged in and hooked in and wires and hoses and all these things can make you go down in this metal shell 75 miles an hour down the freeway. It's kind of amazing. In a much more meaningful way, when all the things are plugged in properly for the body of Christ, in a much more impactful way we see amazing things happen so look if you would to verse 1 of acts chapter 6 where we read and it says now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint against the hebrews by the hellenists 
because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, brethren, seek out from among, your, from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timurai, Timon, however you want to say that name. Par- <laughs> you see, there you go. Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we have some things going on here, and I hope you've been able to see it through my stumbling and mumbling through that and trying to get through those names. I can read them well in my head, and then when I need to say it out loud, it never comes out properly. Uh, But what you have is the church growing and growing well, and things are healthy. People are coming to know Christ, the most important thing that could happen. And then you had these Hebrews were predominantly, they were Christians who spoke predominantly Aramaic. And then you had what was referenced as Hellenists. These people were not people going to hell. These are people that were Christians. They were believers, but their predominant tongue was that of Greek. And we see that there was a problem arose. We know that the early church was taking care of their widows, as the church today ought to as well. And in the process of taking care of the widows, some of them were forgotten, predominantly ones among the Hellenists. The Greek-speaking Christian widows were being forgotten in this daily distribution, this making sure that the widows were cared for. And it sounds as though it was a food-waiting-on-tables kind of help that the church was offering to these widows. So what the apostles did, their solution to this was to gather together all the people and say, let's appoint seven Greek-speaking men that are Christians, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and appoint them to this task of making sure that these widows are not forgotten in the daily distribution. Let them serve the tables. Let them make sure that these Christian Greek-speaking widows have the sustenance that they need to survive and appoint them to that task so that we can give ourselves to the work of ministry, prayer, ministry of the Word. And it worked. The problem was indeed solved. But I hope what you saw there happened in verse 7. Let's look at it again. It starts off and it says, Then, and let all of God's children at New Covenant Community Church say the word then. Ready, set, go. Then, then the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So let's see it and understand it for clarity this morning that when these seven men were appointed to this task, then it came about that the word of God spread, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and that a great number of the priests, the Levitical, in the temple, Old Testament kind of Pharisaical, if you might have in your mind, priests, the perhaps hardest group of people to reach with the gospel, a great many of them were coming under the obedience of the gospel. They were trusting it, they were believing it, and they were becoming Christians. All because Stephen and these six other guys fell into the proper place of serving these widows and waiting on tables. So it's very clear 
Our first point this morning, talking about God's effective servant, as hopefully we all want to be that. God's effective servant serves the needs of the church. Now hear me and hear me clearly, this is not some way to try and strong arm people into service to this church. It is amazing the number of people, the number of service hours, the number of volunteer hours that happen around here completely outside of me. It is incredible to help. This is not a plea to try and get people to serve on different kind of ministries. That is not at all what this morning was, is about. But, but these guys serving this place, serving the body of Christ, serving these other Christian ladies, it led to these massive, massive results. And what I hope people, what I hopefully, I don't even need to say, but what I would love for everyone at New Covenant Community Church who helps in all sorts of different kinds of ministries is that that absolutely plays a part into the blessing that we've seen together as a church. There's no place for me to be able to say to the people that mow the grass or the people that clean the building or the people that do any other task that this role up here of me preaching and teaching on Sunday morning is somehow more important than the role that they have. It was when Stephen and those six other guys were waiting on tables that brought about this thing where the word of God spread, where the gospel was being preached, where the hardest, perhaps the hardest group of people Ever in that time frame we're coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior now that doesn't make sense to any of our minds and I'm not going to try to make it fit inside of the way that we think it really doesn't make sense that it would work out that way but in God's economy in God's sovereignty it does this is the pattern of the church listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 15 through 20 when it's speaking about the body of Christ and all of the parts working properly, all the pieces of this engine plugged in properly. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There was no place for the apostles to look to these seven Greek-speaking Christian men and say, we don't really need you, so therefore our role is more important. We'll just find any... No, it was a needed position in the body of Christ. It was a need that needed met. It was a problem that needed solved. And I hope that you see the incredible results of it. The impact of God's effective servant does not end there, though. It goes on. So if you would look to verse 8, as we continue to see what it's like when this engine is plugged in properly and when the computer of the engine is not saying to the cylinders, I don't need you, or the, or the, or the battery of the car is not saying to the alternator, I don't need you. It, they all need each other and as it is for the body of Christ in a much more significant kind of way. But we look on to the, see the effects of all this. Look to verse 8 as we continue to see what God's effective servant is like. And it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, 
Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. So let's be introduced to this man named Stephen. And if you know your Bibles, you'll know that we remember him as the first ever martyr of the church. And we see him, as we will preach here in just a moment, as a shining example of the first. That he was a man full of the right kinds of things that a believer ought to be full with. Faith, the Holy Spirit, and he was simply there to be ready to be used of the Lord. And he was assigned to wait on widows, to serve these widows in the daily distribution, to ensure that they had enough food to eat, to serve them in that kind of way. He's a man full of faith, full of Holy Spirit. And we see the result of the stir that it caused. But what else do we know about Stephen? Uh, we know that his name is a Greek word which simply means wreath or crown. If you have that picture in your head of what a wreath or a crown is like. And you might say, well, why, why is it important that his name is Stephen and what that name means? Uh, and, and I'm not going to say that this is for certain why his name is Stephen, but, but we know that his name was Stephen. We also know that he was the first ever martyr of the church. Listen to what it says with regards to being martyred and crowned in other places of God's word. James 1.12 said, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen to what it says in Revelation 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. I think that just perhaps Stephen having the name that he did and also God in his foreknowledge, knowing that he would be the first Christian martyr, gave him this name of Stephen, knowing that it referenced this crown that he would receive after having died, been killed for his faith. And we know that this man, a Greek-speaking Christian, was assigned to this task of waiting on widows and that these awesome things began to happen. Word of God spreading, priests coming to know the truth, all the wonderful things that happened, multi multiplication of disciples. And then there rose up some people, this group of people that were arguing with him, disputing Stephen from this synagogue of the freedmen. Now, the places that it references where these men were from, from this particular synagogue, it includes the place it mentions Cilicia. Now, this particular place, kind of in the same way that you think of Ohio, and then there are certain like major cities in Ohio. You think of Cleveland, you think of Columbus, you think of Dayton, you think of Cincinnati, okay? You think of those main cities that are in Ohio, in the same way in this place, Cilicia, the main city, was Tarsus. And if you know your Bible well, you'll know that Paul the Apostle, who formerly was Saul when he was the persecutor of Christians, he was from that place. So it is thought that just perhaps we know that he was there. When it came down to the very particular moment, which we'll be preaching about next week, Lord willing, of Stephen being stoned, we know that Paul was there. 
Acts 7.58 says, And then they cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen, they cast him out to stone him. And the witnesses laid their clothes down at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is to believe Saul, the man that God would change into Paul, that we would then use as a preacher, apostle, all of those kinds of things. It has been suggested before, and I think very rightly so, that very likely the, the one leading this group, you think of Paul as a young man, we know that he was a tent maker. We know that he would have had a body that was able. Why is it that they would have laid their clothing down at his feet? He was probably the leader. He was probably the leader of this particular synagogue. And again, probably. We don't know that for certain. But it's very likely as, as Stephen, this man of God, this man full of faith, this hero of our faith, the very first ever Christian martyr, it's likely perhaps that he is standing in the temple arguing it out with Paul. Paul obviously arguing for the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and Stephen arguing from the standpoint of Christ's deity, understanding who Christ is, this new covenant that has been ushered in. And we know that those were the things that were being argued about based on the accusations, the false witnesses that were planned against Stephen and the things that they were saying against him. It had to do with the law and Moses. So it gives us some insight as to the things that Stephen was preaching to the people. This, this man, this, this battery terminal wire that most people think is just a copper wire. It's not really important like the cylinders of the engine doing their thing, creating the horsepower. This, this piece of copper wire, Stephen, plugged in properly, making the engine of the church run by God's sovereignty and God's design. The gospel's being preached, and here he is battling it out verbally with these men that were in opposition of him. Uh, and what we know from this opposition is that Stephen won. Verse 10 and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. They weren't able to combat him. If it was Paul there or whatever other men were there from this synagogue of the freemen and all these places, which included men from Tarsus where Paul was from, Stephen won. They couldn't argue with the wisdom. They couldn't argue it with the spirit that was inside of them. And to say that it caused a ruckus would be, would be putting it lightly. We know from what we've already read that it st they stirred the people the elders and the scribes, they seized him, they went and captured him, and they set up false witness to give testimony that wasn't true against him. Now think back in your Bible through the Gospels, who does that sound like? It sounds like Christ. The exact same things that happened to Stephen also had happened to Christ before. And we know that Stephen knew of these things. He knew of the imprisonment that Paul and, that, that John and Peter had experienced. They knew of the beating that the other apostles had gotten. And he marched into this, this godly man, this battery terminal wire that most people would just overlook. And well, it's just serving widow's tables. But plugged in properly, the engine of the church was running and people were coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it just makes me wonder in my imaginative mind, what in the world did the devil think about Stephen? Because if you think of it in reference to the apostles, we know at this point in time they've been arrested twice and they've been beaten once. And yet Stephen, this man that most people would overlook as simply a waiter of a table, and all of a sudden there's all this huge persecution in the same way that it was for Jesus himself. 
And it makes you wonder, what did the devil think of him? I mean, it makes me think that just perhaps Stephen operating is this battery cable terminal that most people would overlook. This man simply waiting on widows and making sure that the Greek-speaking widow ladies of the church had enough food. Like, you would think that that would not be an important thing, but the devil was after him. He didn't want him ministering any way in that what most people would conceive a non-important role. So let us be very careful before we ever in the church would look down upon the person who cleans the toilets or mows the grass or cleans the carpets. Those are roles that absolutely have their part in the body of Christ and the preacher has no place of saying to them that they are unimportant. They are needed just like those battery terminal cables. You probably hadn't heard people preach about battery terminal cables before in that kind of way, but hey, it's a new day. So here's what I'd like to say to us. You can be the table server and cause this kind of ruckus, this good kind of ruckus, this kind of thing that infects the culture with the gospel that is coming, that where they are being forgiven of sin and all these things. You can be any other role in this church today, whether it is someone who helps create the meals on Wednesday nights, or whether it is outside things that you help with in the flower beds. No matter what it is, you need to know, dear friend, this morning, that those things have their place. That doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to me, but in God's economy. In his sovereignty, that's the battery cable being hooked to the battery that the whole engine can run and run properly. We know of Stephen that he was a thorn in the side of these truth blockers. I just gave him a new name. They're called, we could call them truth blockers. These people arguing against him for the cause of this Old Testament covenant which was gone and him sitting there preaching about the deity of Christ. They were blocking the truth. They were blocking people from coming to know the truth. And he was a thorn in their side. And again, he knew the repercussions of this. He knew what Peter and John had gone through. He had very likely seen the blood-stained clothes when the apostles had been beaten. And yet, because he was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, he puts himself in this role. And I just want to, us to, to remind us this morning that when there are truth blockers in our culture, which there are many of them, It is okay when in truth and in love to be a thorn in their side in the same way that Stephen was. It'll cause you to catch some flack in the world today. No big surprise there, but it will. Uh, Perhaps I've shared with you before the story of Adrian Rogers. There was a time in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention that, that there was this liberal theology that was going rampant, so much so that there were people in the flagship seminary saying that, that the Word of God has errors and that evolution and cre- the creation account are compatible. And what it really came down to is they did not believe in the Word of God as being inerrant, meaning that it has no errors. They thought it had errors. And they also did not see it as authoritative, being the measure, the thing under which we submit our lives. And it was this plan. I can't remember the names of the guys that came up with this plan, but they knew that if they could get someone in the presidency of that whole organization that would be a strong biblical inerrancy preacher that it would have its trickle down and eventually there would be a a biblically conservative resurgence throughout the entire convention. And sure enough, that was the case. That's what happened. And the man they got for the job was Adrian Rogers. And it's kind of funny because you probably hear him preach on the radio. You've probably seen YouTube videos. He's a great preacher. If you don't know who he is, great person to be spiritually fed from throughout the week as you're seeking sermons to listen to. But he was quoted a number of times in these large meetings when he first stepped into this role of leadership that God had appointed him to at that time. And he was quoted many times where there would be large groups of people and people saying, well, Dr. Rogers, we need to 
If we're going to have a unified fellowship and we're going to do certain things together and, and, and we, we need to have some softness with the way that we look at the Word of God in these kinds of ways and it's going to be impossible. We need to have that kind of fellowship. And then Adrian would say, I don't need a fellowship with you. You don't believe in the Word of God. I, I'm not commanded to, ha- to even be your friend. In fact, I'm not even sure I want to be. And he did this knowing the certain repercussions, knowing that it was going to cause some hiccups, knowing that there, were going, there was going to be some opposition, which there was, but he knew it was the right thing to do, as did Stephen standing in the temple and preaching for the cause of Christ. In the same way that, that Stephen was this thorn in the side of these truth blockers, Adrian Rogers, he since passed, I think it was in 05 that he died, but during that time he was an absolute thorn in the side of these people that would say, the word of God cannot be trusted. He was a thorn in their side, lovingly, graciously, yet boldly he was, and it had an awesome impact. There are probably numerous people, I don't know what the number would be, but numerous people from him standing up and saying, no, we don't need to have fellowship with you if you're not going to submit your life to the Word of God as being authoritative. And I believe with all my heart that there are now people in heaven based on that man's boldness as it was for Stephen as well. And can I just submit to you this morning, church? That I believe that God is also looking for, right now, this very moment, God is looking for these kinds of effective servants. These effective servants in God's kingdom that is willing to stand up and be a thorn in the side of someone that is a truth blocker, someone that is standing between where someone is and them coming to knowledge of the truth and seeing these things biblically and right and true. He's looking for that that copper wire, battery terminal wire that most people would just overlook. He's looking for people to serve the needs of his church to be a problem solver in his body so that they can operate in that way and be used mightily, mightily in the way that Stephen was. So where does this chapter end? Look to verse 15. And we will be going through Stephen's sermon next week, Lord willing. But for right now, we look to verse 15, knowing that they could not argue with him because of his spirit, because of the truth with which he spoke. And verse 15, and all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. This, these people from this particular synagogue, perhaps with Paul Saul at the time leading them. They're going to be killing him for the things he's about ready to preach. They can't deny what he's speaking is true. They can't can't argue. His argumentation was perfect. It was such pure, unbridled truth that they couldn't even argue with it. And they saw his face to be that of an angel. So what does that mean? I have no idea. I don't know if it was light. We know that angels commonly expressed light as we see them in Scripture. Perhaps it was a confidence that he exuded. Perhaps there was a peacefulness that was on his face, knowing that Christ had him in both life and death. But the thing I think we could say at least and for certain is that they knew that there was a a connection between Stephen's purpose and, and divine purpose. 
There was a connection between the things that Stephen was saying and divine nature, divine purpose. There was something of the divine that was connected to this simple copper battery terminal cable widow Greek-speaking Christian lady service guy. And he stood and he preached boldly. So I'm just really curious as we move forward into the future. I'm curious of what modern-day Stevens we will see. What people in the church that are serving some kind of what humans would see as some low role that will be the very people that truth blockers hate and want to kill for the purpose that God is so using them in that role. I know that God will use some preachers. I trust that he will use some preachers. I certainly hope that God uses preachers moving forward. But God can use the guy that serves the Greek-speaking Christian ladies as well. Sometimes I wonder if Stephen knew the extent of the way in which God would use him. I have to imagine he probably didn't know. He probably didn't know that the the things that Stephen was doing in serving widows, full of all the things that a Christian ought to be filled with. I mean, he's a hero. Boldness, truth, this grace the Holy Spirit filled inside of him, filled with all the things that a believer ought to be filled with. I just wonder, I I, I doubt he thought to himself that 2,000 years later as he's serving these Greek-speaking Christian widows, I doubt he would think to himself that 2,000 years later in Johnstown, Ohio, there'd be a church preaching and having the gospel in the kind of way that we have it because of what he did for the Lord. I wonder how many of us are clueless to the things that we're doing that, yes, is service to the Lord, and yes, we feel purpose and, and passion in doing those things as we serve the Lord, but I hope we have not discredited our role because we're just a copper battery terminal cable that the engine doesn't need. Dear friend, in God's sovereignty, He's chosen that those things are needed. The hand cannot say to the foot, I have no use of you. So I hope we are encouraged to serve the church. I hope we are encouraged to see these things in truth. That the engine of the church, and certainly hear my heart knowing that not to equate it as we're just some kind of like big business cranking out something. I hope you see the illustration in clarity. That God could use someone who mows the grass of the church to be the to be the reason that the most difficult group, think of right now the group of people you think that are the most difficult to reach. God could use the person that's mown the grass to be the purpose through which that group is reached. And it may not be the preacher. I think it's awesome that Stephen did what he did and probably just serving, happy to serve, happy to do what was right, happy to preach the truth. And here we are all these years later the gospel having been spread throughout the world in the way that happened after Stephen died. And now you and I are here talking about the gospel, this only way that we might be saved. I wonder, if you, I wonder if you've seen the God behind it. I wonder if the God who is sovereign behind all these pieces has brought you here this day for this purpose that you might come to know Christ, that Stephen doing all that he did as that wonderful servant of God and all that has happened between then and now that God was working it all the way up to you being here this morning to give you this free, awesome gift of salvation should you turn from sin. And I love you enough to preach to you that truth that people are called to repent, to turn from sin. It was for this purpose that God had Stephen doing all that he did. 
and yes, even sacrificially, so that you might come, to the, so that you might be here today, so that He might bring you to this place where you hear the gospel today, that there is freedom from sin found in Christ, and that He calls you to turn and trust alone in Him, and the promise of His word is that He will. If you know that's good news, say Amen. Would you stand with me as we bow our heads together as we come to the music, as we prepare to continue in worship of our Lord? Father in heaven, thank you for allowing us to have been introduced to this effective servant. Father, I want to be like that. I want to be filled with the right things. I want my heart and my mind to be filled with the things that a Christian ought to be filled with. Father, so much of this is just we we come to the end of our understanding as to why you would make it such that the guy serving the widows would be the enemy of hell. Would be the one to serve in that way and even today, Lord, that you would remind us that, that those who know you, your children serving your body, your church, even they might be used mightily in the exact same ways. Father, our understanding does not comprehend that. But we know that your understanding is not that of our own. It's higher, as high above the heavens are above the earth, is your ways and knowledge and understanding. It's, it's all that much higher than ours, Lord. So we humble ourselves to see how it is that you raised up your church and we submit to it now Lord to say use us in whatever way possible use us in the way that you see fit use the preacher use us all we pray in Jesus name and all the church says if you don't know this Lord if you don't know this Jesus as Savior and Lord please don't leave this place until you've told someone myself or another leader in this church that you have decided to leave your sin and know this awesome Savior who Stephen was willing to die for. Let's worship our Lord together.